Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded. I'm your host, Irv Risch. And as we move forward, we're going to be going through the entire New Testament. Uh, and with that, we're going to do a commentary afterwards. And uh, with that said, let us just move on to our next section. And thank you for joining me. The Gospel According to Luke Chapter 1 Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. 
and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Luke Chapter 1 Introduction The Gospel of Luke is in the form of a letter to a man named Theophilus. Luke wrote after having carefully investigated all the facts about Christ, 1 104. Luke documents Christ's life from before his birth through his ministry, death, and resurrection. Jesus carried out his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, announcing the good news of salvation. He showed numerous times his compassion for the poor and the outcast. He fulfilled prophecy and carried out his purpose to seek and save the lost. Luke gives the fullest account of Christ's birth, and only Luke records the parables of the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. Luke, a physician and a colleague of Paul, probably wrote this account in the early 60s AD. He also wrote Acts. The Gospel According to Luke Introduction Laplace Beau Lever Chuyly 8. Ernest Rana. I. Unique Place in the Canon. The most beautiful book that exists is high praise indeed, especially from a skeptic. Yet such was French critic Rena's evaluation of Luke's Gospel. And what sensitive believer reading the evangelist's inspired masterpiece would want to contest his words? Luke is probably the only Gentile writer chosen by God to pen his scriptures and this may partly explain his special appeal to us Western inheritors of the Greco-Roman culture. Spiritually we would be much the poorer in our appreciation of the Lord Jesus and his ministry without the unique emphasis of Dr. Luke. Our Lord's love for and offer of salvation to all people, not just to the Jews, his special interest in individuals, yes, and even the poor and the outcasts, are highlighted. Luke also has strong emphasis on praise, giving us examples of the earliest Christian hymns in Luke 1 and 2, Prayer, and the Holy Spirit. 2. Authorship Luke, who was by race an Antiochian and a physician by profession, was long a companion of Paul, and had careful conversation with the other apostles, and in two books left us examples of the medicine for souls which he had gained from them. This external evidence by Eusebius in his Historia Ecclesiastica, as to the authorship of the third gospel, agrees with universal early Christian tradition. Irenaeus widely quotes the third gospel as by Luke. 
Other early supporters of Lucan authorship include Justin Martyr, Hegesippus, Clement of Alexandria, and Tertullian. In Martian's carefully slanted and condensed edition, Luke is the only gospel accepted by that noted heretic. The fragmentary Muratorian canon calls this third gospel Luke. Luke is the only evangelist to write a sequel to his gospel, and it is from that book, the Acts, that the Lucan authorship is most clearly shown. The so-called we sections of Acts are passages in which the writer was personally involved, 1610, 20,5, 6, 21,15, 27,1, 28,16, cf 2 Timothy 4 verse 11. By the process of elimination, only Luke fits all these periods. It is quite clear from the dedications to Theophilus and the style of writing that Luke and Acts are by the same author. Paul calls Luke the beloved physician and lists him separately from Jewish Christians, Colossians 4 verse 14, which would make him the only Gentile writer in the NT. In size, Luke Acts is larger than all of Paul's epistles combined. The internal evidence strengthens the external documentation and church tradition. The vocabulary, often more precise in medical terms than the other NT writers, along with the educated Greek style, support authorship by a cultured Gentile Christian doctor, but one thoroughly conversant with Jewish themes. Luke's fondness for dates and exact research, 1 1 before, 3 1, e.g., make him the very first church historian. 3. Date The most likely date for Luke is very early in the 60s of the first century. While some put Luke between 75 to 85, or even the second century, this is usually due at least partly to a denial that Christ could accurately predict the destruction of Jerusalem. The city was destroyed in AD 70, so the Lord's prophecy had to be recorded before that date. Since nearly all agree that Luke must precede Acts in time, and Acts ends about AD 63 with Paul in Rome, a date before that is called for. The great fire of Rome and the resultant persecution of Christians as Nero's scapegoats, A.D. 64, and the martyrdoms of Peter and Paul could scarcely have been ignored by the first church historian if they had occurred already. Hence a date of about A.D. 61-62 is most likely. 4. Background and Theme The Greeks were looking for a perfectly divine human being, one with the best characteristics of both men and women but none of their shortcomings such as Luke's presentation of Christ as Son of Man, strong, yet compassionate. His humanity is prominent. His prayer life, for example, is referred to more than in any of the other Gospels. His sympathy and compassion are mentioned frequently. Perhaps this is why women and children occupy such a prominent place. The Gospel of Luke is also known as the Missionary Gospel. Here the gospel goes out to the Gentiles, and the Lord Jesus is presented as the Savior of the world. Finally, this gospel is a discipleship manual. We trace the pathway of discipleship in the life of our Lord, and hear it expounded in His training of His followers. It is this feature we shall follow particularly in our exposition. In the life of the perfect man, we shall find the elements that make up the ideal life for all men. In his incomparable words we shall also find the way of the cross to which he calls us. As we turn to studying Luke's gospel, may we hear the Savior's call, forsake all, and follow him. Obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge. The meaning of the scriptures becomes clearer and dearer to us as we enter into the experiences described. Commentary Aya Preface, Luke's Purpose and Method, 1 104 in his preface, Luke reveals himself as a historian.
he describes the source materials to which he had access and the method he followed. Then he explains his purpose in writing. From the human standpoint he had two types of source materials, written accounts of the life of Christ and oral reports by those who were eyewitnesses of the events in his life. 1 1 The written accounts are described in verse 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. We do not know who these writers were. Matthew and Mark may have been among them but any others were obviously not inspired. John wrote at a later date. 1 2 Luke also depended on oral reports from those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us. Luke himself does not claim to be an eyewitness, but he had interviews with those who were. He describes these associates of our Lord as eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Here he uses the word as a name of Christ, just as John does in his gospel. The beginning here means the beginning of the Christian era heralded by John the Baptist. The fact that Luke used written and oral accounts does not deny the verbal inspiration of what he wrote. It simply means that the Holy Spirit guided him in the choice and arrangement of his materials. James S. Stewart comments. Luke makes it perfectly clear that the inspired writers were not miraculously freed from the necessity of hard historical research. Inspiration was not God magically transcending human minds and faculties, it was God expressing His will through the dedication of human minds and faculties. It does not supersede the sacred writer's own personality and make him God's machine, it reinforces his personality and makes him God's living witness. Point 1. 1 3 Luke gives a brief statement of his motivation and of the method he used, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. As to his motivation he simply says, it seemed good to me also. On the human level, there was the quiet conviction that he should write the gospel. We know, of course, that divine constraint was curiously mingled with this human decision. As to his method, he first traced the course of all things accurately from the beginning, then he wrote them down in order. His task involved a careful, scientific investigation of the course of events in our Savior's life. Luke checked on the accuracy of his sources, eliminated all that was not historically true and spiritually relevant, then compiled his materials in order as we have them today. When Luke says that he wrote an orderly account he does not necessarily mean in chronological order. The events in this gospel are not always arranged in the order in which they occurred. Rather they are in a moral or spiritual order, that is, they are connected by subject matter and moral instruction rather than by time. Although this gospel and the book of Acts were addressed to Theophilus, we know surprisingly little about him. His title most excellent suggests that he was a government official. His name means a friend of God. Probably he was a Christian who held a position of honor and responsibility in the foreign service of the Roman Empire. 1 4 Luke's purpose was to give Theophilus a written account that would confirm the trustworthiness of all that he had been taught concerning the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. The written message would afford fixity by preserving it from the inaccuracies of continued oral transmission. And so verses 1-4 give us a brief but enlightening background into the human circumstances under which this book of the Bible was written. We know that Luke wrote by inspiration. He does not mention that here unless he implies it in the words from the first, verse 3, which can also be translated from above point 2. 2. Advent of the Son of Man and His Forerunner, 
1 colon 5, 2 colon 52. Uh, Annunciation of the Forerunner's Birth, 1 colon 5, 25. 1 colon 5, 6 Luke begins his narrative by introducing us to the parents of John the Baptist. They lived at a time when the wicked Herod the Great was king of Judea. He was an Idumean, that is, a descendant of Esau. Zacharias, means the Lord remembers, was a priest belonging to the division of Abijah, one of the twenty-four shifts into which the Jewish priesthood had been divided by David, 1 Chronicles 24 verse 10. Each shift was called on to serve at the temple in Jerusalem twice a year, from Sabbath to Sabbath. There were so many priests at this time that the privilege of burning incense in the holy place came only once in a lifetime, if at all. Elizabeth, means the oath of God, was also descended from the priestly family of Aaron. She and her husband were devout Jews, scrupulously careful in observing the OT scriptures, both moral and ceremonial. Of course, they were not sinless, but when they did sin, they made sure to offer a sacrifice or otherwise to obey the ritualistic requirement. 1.7 This couple had no children, a reproachful condition for any Jew. Dr. Luke notes that the cause of this was Elizabeth's barrenness. The problem was aggravated by the fact that they were both well advanced in years. 1.8.10 One day Zacharias was performing his priestly duties in the temple. This was a great day in his life because he had been chosen by lot to burn incense in the holy place. The people had gathered outside the temple and were praying. No one seems to know definitely the time signified by the hour of incense. It is inspiring to notice that the gospel opens with people praying at the temple and it closes with people praising God at the temple. The intervening chapters tell how their prayers were answered in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. 1 11 14 With priest and people engaged in prayer, it was an appropriate time and setting for a divine revelation. An angel of the Lord appeared on the right side of the altar, the place of favor. At first Zacharias was terrified, none of his contemporaries had ever seen an angel. But the angel reassured him with wonderful news. A son would be born to Elizabeth, to be named John, the favor or grace of Jehovah. In addition to bringing joy and gladness to his parents, he would be a blessing to many. 1.15 This child would be great in the sight of the Lord, the only kind of greatness that really matters. First of all, he would be great in his personal separation to God, he would drink neither wine, made from grapes, nor strong drink, made from grain. Secondly, he would be great in his spiritual endowment, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This cannot mean that John was saved or converted from birth, but only that God's Spirit was in him from the outset to prepare him for his special mission as Christ's forerunner. 116, 17 Thirdly, he would be great in his role as herald of the Messiah. He would turn many of the Jewish people to the Lord. His ministry would be like that of Elijah, the prophet seeking to bring the people into right relationship with God through repentance. As G. Coleman Luck points out, his preaching would turn the hearts of careless parents to a real spiritual concern for their children. Also he would bring back the hearts of disobedient, rebellious children to the wisdom of the just, three. In other words, he would strive to gather out of the world a company of believers who would be ready to meet the Lord when he appeared. This is a worthy ministry for each of us. Notice how the deity of Christ is implied in verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, it says that John would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
Then in verse 17, it says that John would go before him. To whom does the word him refer? Obviously to the Lord their God in the preceding verse. And yet we know that John was the forerunner of Jesus. The inference then is clear. Jesus is God. 118 The aged Zacharias was struck by the sheer impossibility of the promise. Both he and his wife were too old to become the parents of a child. His plaintive question expressed all the pent-up doubt of his heart. 119 The angel answered first by introducing himself as Gabriel, strong one of God. Though commonly described as an archangel, he is mentioned in the scripture only as one who stands in the presence of God and who brings messages from God to man, Daniel 8 verse 16, 921. 120 Because Zacharias had doubted, he would lose the power of speech until the child was born. Whenever a believer entertains doubts concerning God's word, he loses his testimony and his song. Unbelief seals the lips, and they remain sealed until faith returns and bursts forth in praise and witness. 121, 22 Outside, the people were waiting impatiently, ordinarily the priest who was burning incense would have appeared much sooner. When Zacharias finally came out, he had to communicate with them by making signs. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. 123, after his tour of duty at the temple was completed, the priest went back home, still unable to speak, as the angel had predicted. 124, 25 When Elizabeth became pregnant she went into seclusion in her home for five months, rejoicing within herself that the Lord had seen fit to free her from the reproach of being childless. Be the Annunciation of the Son of Man's Birth, 1 26, 38 126, 27 In the sixth month after his appearance to Zacharias, or after Elizabeth became pregnant, Gabriel reappeared this time to a virgin named Mary who lived in the city of Nazareth, in the district of Galilee. Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph, a lineal descendant of David, who inherited legal rights to the throne of David, even though he himself was a carpenter. Betrothal was considered a much more binding contract than engagement is today. In fact, it could be broken only by a legal decree similar to divorce. 128 The angel addressed Mary as one who was highly favored, one whom the Lord was visiting with special privilege. Two points should be noted here. 1. The angel did not worship Mary or pray to her, he simply greeted her. 2. He did not say that she was full of grace, but highly favored. 129 30 Mary was understandably troubled by this greeting, she wondered what it meant. The angel calmed her fears, then told her that God was choosing her to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. 1-31-33 Notice the important truths which are enshrined in the Annunciation. The real humanity of the Messiah you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. His deity and his mission is Savior and shall call his name Jesus, meaning Jehovah is the Savior. His essential greatness he will be great, both as to his person and his work. His identity as the Son of God and will be called the Son of the Highest. His title to the throne of David, the Lord God, will give him the throne of his father David. This establishes him as the Messiah. His everlasting and universal kingdom, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verses 31 and 32 will obviously refer to Christ's first advent, whereas verses 32b and 33 describe his second coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 134, 35 Mary's question, how can this be, was one of wonder but not of doubt. 
how could she bear a child when she had never had relations with a man? Although the angel did not say so in so many words, the answer was virgin birth. It would be a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He would come upon her, and the power of God would overshadow her. To Mary's problem of how? It seemed impossible to human reckoning God's answer is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Here then we have a sublime statement of the Incarnation. Mary's Son would be God manifest in the flesh. Language cannot exhaust the mystery that is shrouded here. 136, 37 The angel then broke the news to Mary that Elizabeth her relative, was in her sixth month of pregnancy, she who had been barren. This miracle should reassure Mary that with God nothing will be impossible. 138 In beautiful submission, Mary yielded herself to the Lord for the accomplishment of his wondrous purposes. Then the angel departed from her. See a Mary visits Elizabeth, 139, 45. 139, 40 We are not told why Mary went to visit Elizabeth at this time. It may have been to avoid the scandal which would inevitably arise in Nazareth when her condition became known. If this is so, then the welcome given by Elizabeth and the kindness shown would have been doubly sweet. 141 As soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the babe leaped in her womb a mysterious, involuntary response of the unborn forerunner to the arrival of the unborn Messiah. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, that is, he took control of her, guiding her speech and actions. Three persons in chapter 1 are said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, verse 15, Elizabeth, verse 41, and Zacharias, verse 67. One of the marks of a Spirit-filled life is speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5 verses 18 and 19. We are not surprised therefore to find three songs in this chapter, as well as two in the next. Four of these songs are generally known by Latin titles, which are taken from the first lines, 1, Elizabeth's Salutation, 1, 42, 45, 2, The Magnificat, It Magnifies, 1, 46, 55, 3, Benedictus, Blessed, 1, 68, 79, 4, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, Glory to God in the Highest, 2, 14, and 5, Nunc Dimittis, Now You Let Depart, 2, 29, 32. 1 42 45 Speaking by special inspiration, Elizabeth saluted Mary as the mother of my Lord. There was not a trace of jealousy in her heart, only joy and delight that the unborn baby would be her Lord. Mary was blessed among women in that she was given the privilege of bearing the Messiah. The fruit of her womb is blessed in that he is Lord and Savior. The Bible never speaks of Mary as the mother of God. While it is true that she was the mother of Jesus, and that Jesus is God, it is nevertheless a doctrinal absurdity to speak of God as having a mother. Jesus existed from all eternity whereas Mary was a finite creature with a definite date when she began to exist. She was the mother of Jesus only in his incarnation. Elizabeth recounted the seemingly intuitive excitement of her unborn child when Mary first spoke. Then she assured Mary that her faith would be abundantly rewarded. Her expectation would be fulfilled. She had not believed in vain. Her baby would be born as promised. D. Mary magnifies the Lord, 1 46, 56. 1 46, 49 The Magnificat resembles Hannah's song, 1 Samuel 2 verses 1 10. First, Mary praised the Lord for what he had done for her, verses 46b or 49. 
Notice that she said, verse 48, all generations will call me blessed. She would not be one who conferred blessings, but one who would be blessed. She speaks of God as her Savior, disproving the idea that Mary was sinless. 1-50-53 Secondly, she praised the Lord for His mercy on those who fear Him in every generation. He puts down the proud and mighty, and exalts the lowly and hungry. 154-55 Finally, she magnified the Lord for His faithfulness to Israel in keeping the promises He had made to Abraham and to his seed. 156 After staying with Elizabeth about three months, Mary returned to her own house in Nazareth. She was not yet married. No doubt she became the object of suspicion and slander in the neighborhood. But God would vindicate her, she could afford to wait. E. Birth of the Forerunner, 1 57, 66. 1 57, 61 At Elizabeth's appointed time, she gave birth to a son. Her relatives and friends were delighted. On the eighth day, when the child was circumcised, they thought it was a foregone conclusion that he would be named Zacharias, after his father. When his mother told them the child's name would be John, they were surprised, because none of his relatives had this name. 1 hour 62 minutes, 63 to get the final decision, they made signs to Zacharias. This indicates that he was not only dumb, but deaf as well. Calling for a writing tablet, he settled the matter, the baby's name was John. The people all marveled. 1 64, 66, but it was even more of a surprise when they noticed that the power of speech had returned to Zacharias as soon as he wrote John. The news spread quickly throughout all the hill country of Judea, and people wondered about the future work of this unusual baby. They knew that the special favor of the Lord was with him. F. Zacharias' prophecy concerning John, 1 67 80. 1 hour 67 minutes freed now from the fetters of unbelief and filled with the Holy Spirit, Zacharias was inspired to utter an eloquent hymn of praise, rich in quotations from the OT. 1 hour 68 minutes, 69 praise to God for what he had done. Zacharias realized that the birth of his son, John, indicated the imminence of the coming of the Messiah. He spoke of Christ's advent as an accomplished fact before it happened. Faith enabled him to say God had already visited and redeemed his people by sending the Redeemer. Jehovah had raised up a horn of salvation in the royal house of David. A horn was used to hold the oil for anointing kings, therefore it might mean here a king of salvation from the kingly line of David. Or it might be a symbol of power and thus mean a powerful savior. 1 hour 70 minutes, 71 praise to God for fulfilling prophecy. The coming of the Messiah had been predicted by the holy prophets since the world began. It would mean salvation from one's enemies and safety from foes. 1 72, 75 praise to God for his faithfulness to his promises. The Lord had made an unconditional covenant of salvation with Abraham. This promise was fulfilled by the coming of Abraham's seed, namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation he brought was both external and internal. Externally, it meant deliverance from the hand of their enemies. Internally, it meant serving him without fear, in holiness and righteousness. G. Campbell Morgan brings out two striking thoughts on this passage. Point five first, he points out the arresting connection between the name of John and the theme of the song, both are the grace of God. Then he finds allusions to the names of John, Zacharias, and Elizabeth in verses 72 and 73. 
John, the mercy promised, verse 72. Zacharias, to remember, verse 72. Elizabeth, the oath, verse 73. God's favor, as announced by John, results from his remembering the oath of his holy covenant. 1 hour 76 minutes, 77 The mission of John, the Savior's herald. John would be the prophet of the Most High, preparing the hearts of the people for the coming of the Lord, and proclaiming salvation to his people through the forgiveness of their sins. Here again we see that references to Jehovah in the OT are applied to Jesus in the New. Malachi predicted a messenger to prepare the way before Jehovah, 3 1. Zacharias identifies John as the messenger. We know that John came to prepare the way before Jesus. The obvious conclusion is that Jesus is Jehovah. 1 hour 78 minutes, 79 Christ's coming is likened to the sunrise. For centuries, the world had lain in darkness. Now through the tender mercy of our God, dawn was about to break. It would come in the person of Christ, shining on the Gentiles who were in darkness and the shadow of death, and guiding Israel's feet into the way of peace, see Malachi 4 verse 2. 1 hours 80 minutes the chapter closes with a simple statement that the child grew physically and spiritually, remaining in the deserts till the day of his public appearance to the nation of Israel. Well, this ends another one of our podcasts, and until uh, next time, just remember, God is out here, and you can find out all about him in your Bibles. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. I have mine right here, and uh, God is in this Bible, so please read it. With that said, bye for now. Till next time.